The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, good evening. And can, can you hear me okay? Is that loud enough? think of uh, Buddhism as being mostly a set of instructions as opposed to a set of teachings. It's not a teachings about enlightenment or becoming enlightened, but rather it's instructions of how to do it. And um, one of the key instructions for the path to leading to awakening or freedom, liberation, enlightenment, is uh, a list called the seven factors of awakening, seven factors of of enlightenment. And uh, these are particular qualities that get developed in our hearts and minds uh, that are most supportive for, uh, most, most important foundation for becoming free, mentally free, internally free, that uh, is a kind of freedom that enlightenment is pointing towards. And so uh, right now, uh, this is the third week of offering a series of talks on these seven factors of awakening. And um, today I'm going to do the second one, which generally is uh, translated into English as investigation. So these, these seven are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. And um, some people think of them as the crown jewels of Buddhism or the, the gems, you know, the, the treasure of Buddhism because it's, they're so important, so valuable for the individual to have these developed. They're qualities we all have, but they get developed to a heightened degree uh, with their practice. The, uh, the first one, mindfulness, has a lot to do with uh, uh, having a heightened awareness in the present moment, to be really present here. Once we're present and here, uh, then uh, we have the capacity, we have the ability then to look more carefully to see what is here, what's going on, what is our experience here. And so it isn't just a matter of being mindful in the sense of being aware and present here and now, but we want to have wisdom about the world that we live in, when we have wisdom about what is here. And so the second factor of awakening is the beginning of wisdom, where we begin uh, discerning or seeing more deeply what is actually going on. The, um, <clears throat> and one of the uh, really important steps towards this wisdom of investigation uh, takes the form of a very simple question. And that's the question, what is this? (laughs) What is this? Um, Maybe it doesn't seem very profound to you. What is this? But it's to give a second, you know, know, once you're here, what's really this? Even if you might think you might know what this is, what really is this? What's going on here? What's this experience? 
it changes things radically to bring investigation or this, or this very question into the middle of our experience. It's kind of like if you bring a new species into an ecosystem, the whole ecosystem shifts and changes. So if we're in the ecosystem of greed, hate, and delusion, confusion, being caught up and preoccupied with our life, then you bring in investigation and it begins to shift and change the whole ecosystem we're in, the whole mental ecosystem we're involved in. So if you're like me, uh, you from time to time have the capacity of getting completely caught up in something, some preoccupation, some concern, some important thing that's really important to do, to have happen. And it could even be, and, and, uh, but it's not so useful to be completely preoccupied and ca- caught up because there isn't a kind of clear seeing of what's happening. There, there isn't wisdom operating. So it's helpful to kind of, you know, wake up and you know, see what's going on. Step back and get the bird's eye view of what's happening. Not be entangled and caught in what's going on. And that could be with a uh, challenge you're having with another person and you're involved in a heated conversation. Uh, it, chances are you're not as wise as you could be you don't see clearly if you're in the in the heated conversation. You're really engaged in it, and you don't, you don't even let the other person speak because you have to, you know, say what's important. And um, so, what is this? What is this argument? What is this conversation? What is the situation? Who is this person? Who am I? What is going on? You ask that question seriously enough, it begins make, making space in the situation, space in your mind, space in, to kind of to kind of look and see rather than being caught and involved. The, um, if you're involved in a, um, you know, some, some kind of accident happens around you and, uh, or something dangerous is about to happen, um, chances are that if you kind of take a second look, what's really going on here, you'll be wiser in the situation. If it's a mountain lion about to pounce on you, don't ask. Just run, or make, make, they say, make yourself big. They say <laughs> you're not supposed to run. Mountain lions. See, see what happens if you if you act by instinct, you run, and then they get you. You're supposed to you're supposed to be calm and stand tall and make yourself big and and walk back slowly, facing it. And that takes certain presence of mind, right? So, what is this? Oh, it's a mountain lion. Okay, now tall. If it's a bear, you do something else. If it's a rattlesnake, you do something else. So what is this? What's the right approach? What's the right situation needed here? Um, I'm remembering that many years ago now, I had a horrendous headache driving down 101. It was so, the headache was so bad, I wondered whether it was safe for me to be driving even. And... Um, and so, you know, so I was going along and uh, doing what some people will do, um, common phenomena. I was having a lot of self-pity. Poor me, with my headache. And, um, and so after a while, it dawned on me, you know, I've been doing this mindfulness thing for a long time. Uh, I'm kind of committed to it. Why don't I <laughs> try being mindful of this? What's going on? What's, ha- what's happening here? What's a headache? So I, I started kind of bringing my attention to the whole experience of having a headache while I was driving. You know, so 
you know, what, what it felt like, especially I kind of zeroed my attention in, what is this pain? Where is it? What's exactly like that this hurting so badly? And what I found was that as I asked myself, what is this, and started looking at it more carefully, one, of, one, of, one, one species of the ecosystem got crowded out, and that was the self-pity. It kind of like there wasn't space for it. It was, not, it was now engaged in something more wholesome, something more useful, investigating the situation. And as I did that, it, uh, the headache decreased a little bit. There was more space in my mind. I, I calmed down. I think my breathing got better. And it was just, you know, it was just a better situation. So that was nice. Except uh, when, when it got more manageable, uh, then it wasn't so... I wasn't so motivated anymore to be, mind, to be mindful. You know, sometimes we're only motivated to be mindful of things that are challenging. So I wasn't so, I wasn't so motivated anymore, and so my mind started thinking about something else. And when it did, <laughs> the headache came back with a vengeance. So then I had to do it again. So I had to keep, you know, it happened two or three times coming down from San Francisco, just, you know, doing, doing my mindfulness thing so I could drive safely. So what is this? To kind of, kind of make some, some people like the idea of you're stepping back from a situation to, to get a broader perspective on it. Some people like the idea that um, you're kind of um, looking much more deeply, you're diving in to really see what's there. Uh, some people like the idea of a bird's eye view. Um, you know, a variety of different metaphors can, can, can work here, but th- what they have in common is we get interested in what is this experience we're having? And so that's a really important part of developing wisdom, is wisdom is not something we bring with us. Wisdom is something we discover by being interested in what's happening here and now and seeing more carefully here. So the central insight or vipassana question is, what is this? And it works also really well in deep states of meditation. And when mindfulness gets really, really strong and meditation is very quiet, very peaceful, uh, to maintain a very quiet interest in what is this and look more carefully. My teacher in Burma was always encouraging us, look more carefully, look more carefully. Um, what is going on? What's going on? Then we had to go report to him what, you know, like what we saw. And uh, it was amazing um, the, um, the precision which he asked us to notice what was going on in the moment. And because he, a- he required of us precision in the reporting, it encouraged us to be precise in the investigation. What is this experience? You know, where is it? How is the experience? What's happening here? Now, this kind of investigation generally is not analysis. It's not uh, thinking about, you know, trying to figure out what it is. Um, it's a kind of, it's more close to a kind of a silent awareness, a silent looking or intuitive looking or awareness we kind of perceive in a silent way, in a silent mind. What is this? Okay, we have that question, what is it? But then we kind of like open the mind's eye to see or to feel or really be there for the experience, let the, register the experience more deeply. There are other questions that are, can help this interest, to help kind of shift, make us look at the situation in a better way or useful way. Um, one, one question that's sometimes useful to ask is, um, what am I avoiding? What am I avoiding right now? And, um, or what am I not paying attention to? Slightly different question. 
what am I not noticing? What am I not paying attention to? Because often we have blinders on. Often we have, uh, you know, particular prejudice about what we pay attention to. And so what are we not paying attention to here now? The... um, um, so I, I, in meditation practice, I, found, I find this very useful because sometimes I'll be very focused on some aspect of my meditation, say the breathing, and then it's going along okay, even when it's going along, going along well, and I'm kind of staying with the breath. I'll, I'll say, what else is going on here? What am I not paying attention to? And I'll kind of, for a moment, kind of look around, and I notice that... Um, uh, something else. I notice something about my posture. My posture is a little bit tense or a little bit not balanced. Or I notice that the way that I'm being mindful, what's going on in my mind is a little bit contracted or tight, pushing. Or that, yes, I'm with my breath, but I'm really, you know, avoiding uh, some emotion that I'd rather not look at. And so, so that, you know, I might be focused on something, but there's more important things to notice. So what's the bigger picture? What else is going on here? An, an interesting question is the question, what needs acceptance right now? What do you have to accept so you can be present in a balanced way, in a centered way? So you might, there might be resistance, there might be desire, there might be expectation, there might be judgments, there might be feelings that this is not okay. All kinds of things might go on. What do you have to accept? So driving down the, high, the 101 with my headache, I had to accept my headache. That was the beginning of it. If I was fighting the headache or, you know, lost in self-pity, then, uh, you know, there's no investigation, there's no stepping back, there's no freedom to be found in it. So what needs to be accepted in awareness? To accept something in awareness does not mean that you condone it or accept that it's okay for it to continue. But it means that your, your awareness has space for it. Your awareness can embrace it and hold it without fighting it and resisting it or grabbing onto it or whatever it does. The powerful question to ask, what needs to be accepted right now? Then later you can decide whether you're supposed to say no to the situation. But you start by having this balanced, open awareness that sees more clearly. The, um, and another interesting question is uh, to ask yourself, um, what would be good to let go of right now? You know, something would be good to let go of. Meaning that you, are you holding on to something that's not so useful to hold on to? Some belief, some idea of self. Interpersonally, it can be a lot of selfing going on, self-concerns going on, that maybe it's not so useful to be caught up in self-concern as much as you are. And so it would be useful to let go of it. And to let go of the self-concern, again, creates more space, creates more balance. You're not so caught in what's happening. So to ask questions uh, of your experience sometimes uh, can uh, bring interest, can open it up, can change what's going on. The word for that we tran- that's translated as investigation in Pali is Dhamma Vichaya. Dham- Dhamma is the Pali word for Dharma and Vichaya means um, something like to distinguish. So it's dis- uh, some people translate it as distinguishing the dharmas. And, uh, and what dharmas probably means here, I mean, we don't know for sure, but most likely what it means dharmas here is it means um, mental qualities. 
the quality, the states of being, states of mind that you have. And so you want to start being becoming discerning to differentiate what's going on in your experience. And this idea of being able to differentiate and not have everything be one big buzzing field of confusion, but begin to kind of notice the details of what's going on and separate out. And in particular, what the tradition puts a lot of emphasis at is to discern the difference between those qualities of mind, those activities of mind, which are skillful and those which are not skillful. Or they're also, uh, uh, the word skillful is sometimes, uh, the word is tra- translated skillful, is also translated as wholesome. Beautiful word. What is wholesome and what is not wholesome? So what this means is to be able to distinguish between two different activities of the mind or the heart that we're doing to uh, those activities which nourish us and those which you know, deplete us, those which are helpful for us, those which are not helpful for us, those which are wholesome and those which are not wholesome. With, to make that distinction is in, in uh, Buddhism is one of the primary doors to have your own wisdom in the situation. Because it's very, practi- it's, it's very practical. If you want to become the custodian and caretaker of your own heart and mind, you want to be able to uh, uh, keep your house clean. You want to be able to recognize when what your, your heart and your mind is doing something which is depleting you or you know, causing you pain and suffering and um, you know, dragging you down. And you want to be able to distinguish, notice the things that you do that nourish you, that support you, that enlighten you, that uplift you, that make you feel better. And uh, to really become clear, not just in the big, big things, you know, like, you know, it's really nourishing, really, really uplifting to, I don't know, read spiritual books or be with good friends or, I don't know what, all kinds of kind of... But uh, in the moment, what are you? What's the? What is? The, what is the quality of the activities of your own mind, of your thoughts, of your motivations, your impulses, um, your reactions to things? And that's why mindfulness is so important as a foundation. As we get more and more mindful, as we get quieter, more and more in the present moment, then we can start noticing this, these two possible paths that we can take. We can either take the path of staying involved in those things which are depleting for us or take the path that those things which are nourishing, supportive of us. And uh, it's a very simple dichotomous thinking that has a, can have a huge difference over time. I'm very fond of this idea that if you take a parallel line, uh, you know, two lines that are parallel, um, <coughs> and you have them go off to infinity, uh, they'll always stay parallel, never cross, and never go further away from each other because they're parallel. But um, if you take and just nudge one of them slightly to the right, slightly off to the st- away from the other one, then it might be for the first 10 feet, the first mile, you don't really see that they're, you know, parting from each other. But over time, they part, and over a long time, they're going to get far, far, far away from each other, those two lines. So we have these two lines, two tracks our life can be on. And generally they kind of, the the wholesome and the unwholesome tracks. 
And if we just make that distinction and nudge a little bit more towards the wholesome, it doesn't have to be much, then over time, those lines go further and further apart. And we, 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 we leave, leave the unwholesome activities of the mind further and further away, and we cultivate and develop the wholesome, the skillful, the useful, the helpful, the nourishing. So in the example I gave you of driving down the highway with my headache, uh, it was not very supportive of me, and nur- certainly not nourishing, to have to wallow in my self-pity. Poor Gil. Gil has a headache. This is hard. Um, it was much more nourishing for me to bring interest and mindfulness to that experience. I could feel the difference physically when I did that for myself. Um, I could feel the difference in the quality and in the, uh, the quality of my mind. My mind felt more like a place that I like to be in. That um, uh, whereas in the self-pity, I don't want to be there. So you start making a distinction. And as we make these distinctions, then we have slowly, slowly we'll discover we have more and more choice. And it's this place of choice where we begin to find our freedom. If we can't make that distinct, those distinctions between what is wholesome and unwholesome, then we don't have any choice around matter. And then we wonder why we continue to feel bad. So some of the, you know, the, some of the things which are considered unwholesome is activities, mind mo- mo- movements that involve um, hate, hostility of any kind at all, animosity of any kind at all, animosity towards oneself, animosity towards others. Um, what is considered nourishing and, ho- hopeful and helpful is, is to be friendly, to be kind, to have loving kindness. What's considered unwholesome is to be miserly, to be greedy, uh, to covet the, the things of other people. Those are not nourishing for the good quality of your own heart and mind. To be generous is considered to be nourishing. To have a genuine generosity from yourself and to go about your life in a generous way nourishes some of the best qualities in your hearts. So in Buddhism, we put a tremendous emphasis on looking for opportunities to be generous, looking for opportunities to be kind and be friendly, not because it's good, you know, in some moralistic way to do that. It's just good for you. It's like good medicine. It's meant to be be nourishing. But if you're investigating, if you're doing this kind of careful attention to discerning what's nourishing and not nourishing, then you'll also be able to distinguish between when acts of generosity are nourishing and when they're not. And if it's, if it's a duty, you're obligated to be generous, you, and you, that's, why, that's how you act on generosity. If you're very sensitive and attentive to what's happening in your mind and heart, you'll see this doesn't feel good. And that becomes the guide. Not some analysis, not some principle, but rather your own capacity to feel the, the dis-ease, the unease that comes from doing generosity in an unwholesome way. Or you can discern and feel what it's like to do generosity in a wholesome way. Ah, oh, this feels good, this is nice. Same thing with compassion. You can feel when compassion is nourishing 
And you can feel when it's not. And when compassion is not nourishing, generally it's not compassion, but rather it's something that's been confused with compassion. Some people uh, feel distress and worry in the presence of other people's suffering. And because they're concerned with their distress and worry, they think, oh, I'm being compassionate. But it's not compassion. If it, uh, compassion in Buddhism is not compassion unless it has some quality inside of it that uh, feels right, kind of a rightness to it. Maybe, I don't know if we want to say it's like nourishing when you're sitting, being with someone else's suffering, but, but uh, there's something, a rightness to that feeling. Ah, you know, it feels like you're connected, you're aligned, you're in harmony with something good. And that, uh, if you don't feel that, then it's probably not compassion. Um, to, uh, to be able to discern the difference between being restless or agitated and being calm. Some people don't recognize when their mind is agitated because with agitation we're often caught up and concerned about something. So to see that difference and to feel how being calm in a situation is more nourishing. So this, this idea, is we, idea is we're supposed to become our own teachers, finding our own path. And so we need to have the reliable evidence, reliable data, information, to be able to find our way. And it's the function of investigation, this dhamma vichaya, this uh, 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 distinguishing the qualities of the mind, that's one of the really important ways of becoming your own teacher. And so the mindfulness sets the stage for you to ask, what's happening in my heart right now? What's happening in my mind right now? What does it feel like in there? What's the atmosphere in there? What's the mood? What does it feel like to have, what does it feel like to have these thoughts and these beliefs that I have, these desires, and these wants, and these impulses? What does it feel like? What is it like this investigation? What is this? What is this? And then start feel because we're feeling more than thinking about it, we start feeling the quality of it. Does it feel good or does it not feel good? And if it feels good, and with a little bit of analysis, if it feels good in a wholesome way, not just because it's pleasant, if we're nourished by it in a wholesome way, then it's probably a good chance that's something to support and develop. We want to develop the wholesome. If it feels unwholesome, unhelpful, if it feels like it depletes us or drains us, then we want to be very careful about how we relate to that unwholesome states of mind, those unwholesome tendencies. Because it's unwholesome to have animosity towards your unwholesomeness. <laughs> now that's very important. So I'll say it again. It's unwholesome to have animosity towards your unwholesomeness. So if it should happen once in a blue moon from time to, you know, that you should have some kind of, you know, thought or impulse or desire or hostility or something, which, you know, doesn't really feel so good. Maybe it happens, you know. If you remember back last year, maybe once. And so if it happens, then this 
discerning, distinguishing the qualities, the wholesome and the unwholesome, is then is meant to also encourage you to just not make it worse by adding unwholesomeness on top of unwholesomeness, or for a, just or for a few of us, adding unwholesomeness on top of the unwholesomeness on top of the unwholesomeness. You know, and then we can go on, right? Because it's, we can get pulled into that world of our beliefs, the world of our reactivity, a world of it should be this way, or I'm not good enough, or all, all this stuff that just piles and piles on. So we investigate. What is wholesome, what is not wholesome? What is nourishing and not nourishing? And this way of investigating, being really still or mindful, sensitive, is to start doing it, going back to the, uh, the source. The capacity of mindfulness to kind of look deeper and deeper. Or to go back, I like the word back to the source. Go back to the beginning. So it's kind of like you follow the stream. So, um, you know, so maybe I have some uh, sense of disappointment. Uh, so I feel the disappointment. And the disappointment doesn't feel very, you know, supportive. It doesn't feel so wholesome to kind of wallow in the disappointment. So I bring and feel the disappointment. And I'm careful not to add anything on top of it. Just disappointment. And then I kind of, then it's possible to kind of see through maybe the cracks of the disappointment to see that I had an expectation. And so then I bring my attention to the expectation. And I feel, well, that ex- maybe that particular expectation I had also did not feel so nourishing to have. It felt kind of anxiety, a kind of there's pressure, a wanting, a longing in that expectation. So then I kind of feel that longing. And then I go back, you know, what's that longing like? What does that feel like? And the idea is keep going back, keep staying with it until some clarity, some deeper resolution can happen. And some deeper resolution can't happen if you see something like disappointment and bounce off it. You see it and you treat it as something that's wrong, something you should let go of it at the first, you know, first opportunity. You want to keep looking, investigating. What is this? What is this? Feel your way into it. Feel whether it's wholesome or unwholesome or nourishing or not nourishing or helpful or not helpful or feels like it's harm- in harmony with something or not in harmony or, or feel like it's a way of being where you feel at home in yourself or you don't feel at home, you feel kind of estranged from yourself. I don't know exactly what, you know, what these dichotomies work best for you. I'm offering a variety of different kinds. But let's see, uh, we have some time here maybe before I take some questions. Um, So one of the points of this investigation is to be able to distinguish pairs of qualities, that which is helpful and that which is not helpful. The Buddhist tradition calls it wholesome and unwholesome or skillful and unskillful. I called it nourishing and depleting. Um, I said being at home in yourself or not at home, being estranged from yourself, uh, being... um, kind of feeling in harmony, feeling not in harmony, feeling a rightness, feeling not right about what's happening. So 
variety of ways of seeing it. I wonder if some of you would like to offer some dichotomies that maybe speak to you in some deeper way or seems like your, your words for it. Anybody like to offer some? I have a lot of anxiety issues, and one of the things I've been trying to learn lately and experience is, is sort of the difference between anxiety and excitement, mm. because they both feel, physically feel very similar, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm thinking that this is maybe a constructive way of looking at it, is like, anxiety is never going to feel helpful to me, but you know, maybe excitement would, and if I could feel, if I can tell, oh yeah, this actually feels helpful, uh-huh. maybe it's excitement, not mm. anxiety. Lovely, Yes. Because there are many times things can be uh, wholesome and unwholesome can be confused for each other or seem very similar. So as we get more sensitive, we can distinguish between a aversion which is helpful and when, when it's not. It's great. Thank you. one that came to my mind was vulnerable or or protective uh, so vulnerable or protective yeah. I think it's a great thing to notice that distinction but I, sus- I suspect that uh, that we can be more refined with that there is um, wholesome ways of being vulnerable and unwholesome ways yeah, there's wholesome is, ways yeah. of being protective and unwholesome ways yeah and that's yeah, that is very true yeah I was thinking about this quality of openness mm-hmm which is a vulnerability. Yeah. But there's a very strong peace with it. So um, it is it's a very peaceful vulnerability then. It's, it's a, a peaceful vulnerability yeah. here. And, the, and the, the other is an anxious defensiveness. So mm. I'm giving a little ah. bit of a qualifier uh-huh. to that. Okay. So, so okay, so you're, you're a wholesome kind of a vulnerability versus an unwholesome kind of Anxiety or defensiveness, yeah. Great, beautiful to see that. There's someone over, is there another, another, is there another mic in this, that side of the building? Okay. Anxiety again, and ease. So anxiety and ease. So the, those kinds of words are really great because uh, they applicable in so many different situations. They kind of cover so many different things, you know. Is, is there anxiety here or is there ease in this situation? Yeah. Um, I think um, this is so subtle, it seems to me, and sometimes I feel like it's not quite so subtle for me, but it's very clear, and that is like when I find myself in a mind state that I have a version for. And then I bring some compassion to bear on it, and I become more accepting of the way it is. And it seems that uh, 
I learned to recognize the aversion and the trip I'm doing on myself and to, to, to let go of that and to be kinder. But it doesn't always last. My mind is habitual and it is used to uh, not thinking so highly of myself when I get into that mind state. And so it's very easy to slip back and forth between being compassionate and then the old um, ways of not doing that. Yeah, I'm sorry, Abraham, that, that, um, that uh, we, ha- we haven't figured out yet the way of just being done with this practice. <laughs> and, 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 and just, you know, little trick, you know, just this is what you do, and you do it once, and then it's, that's it. Jeepers, I thought maybe I had it there. I'm sorry. Okay. You, oh, well, when you get it, you tell us, the rest of us. But I think it's really, it's, it's a, you know, I like it that it's a practice, right, we... And it's a lifetime practice of uh, taking responsibility and being at, bringing attention to it. And, you know, this distinction between wholesome and unwholesome can bring a lot more ease in just keep doing the practice. Yeah. Because one of the things we want to be careful for is how we do the practice. And if we're doing the practice as a burden, as a tight, as, as a sledgehammer to our experience, uh, it doesn't feel good. You want the practice itself to feel wholesome. And then you're happy. You look forward to it. Could I just add something? And I don't know if this has anything to do with that, but it it seemed to me when you were speaking about the quality of investigation that you can have a sense of pleasure about it. It's it's pleasurable? Yes, it can be pleasurable. I think it's a very important point you're you're mentioning. Um, uh, 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 But what you mean by pleasure, you have to be a little bit careful for but it can be enjoyable. It can be, right. be. It can be. Right now, I'm using the keep going through the nourishing. It can be nourishing. It can be uh, have a deep sense of satisfaction or, or rightness to it, so that you want to do it. It's. Uh, it's. Uh, it's. Uh, it leads you on to good states in a nice way. And uh, some people in here, the word investigation is like, oh no, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of work, and I have to kind of now analyze and look, and you know. And it's just kind of a drag, you know, because we want to have spirituality be really easy. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the idea is, by using this, this, uh, this, this dichotomy to be able to investigate, is we find our way to how to do the investigation itself in a way that feels good. That feels like, oh yeah, this is nice. It's good, to, you know, you can feel, oh, I'm more clear, I'm more engaged, there's a little more energy here, there's more light uh, so, you know, there's more space in the mind or clarity. This is nice. And then if you're trying too hard to investigate, you know, and you're getting a headache, and you're looking, you know, that's not so useful. Yes, please. Um, I've, I've noticed whenever I'm in the unwholesome state, I'm also usually confused. And so my, sometimes when I... Whenever I feel confusion, I, that's my like alarm <laughs> or signal that ah, something's off. Great, that's wonderful. Um, so, what do you do then? <clears throat> so I try to find something uh, simple that's uh, clear. Great. The, just where it, it, I mean, we were, you were talking about cl- clarity, yeah. it, like it feels clear, but. And then also that feeling of curiosity, uh-huh. which is different than the confusion, where that's more like I'm tangled in this thing that I don't understand. Uh-huh. 
so. Yeah. Well, it's really wise. So, so you go find something that's clear, you, something you can understand, something gr- that grounds you here, rather than spinning around in the confusion. Yeah, and just go with that. Yeah, confusion is not so wholesome, or, so, or not wholesome is not, the, I don't know, if, I don't want to use the word unwholesome, but it's certainly uh, not useful. That's great, thank you. Right over there. Oh. I've got um, discerning versus justifying. Discerning versus justifying. Good. Other people have uh, discerning versus judging. Great. So I, I, when I take it that uh, discernment feels wholesome and, and uh, justifying. No, what a face. <laughs> I, I got the message. It's not wholesome. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I also do this practice of mental noting where I uh, assess whether something is aversion or a desire or neutral. Where does neutral fit into this? Where, where I, don't, I think of a thought, let's say a planning thought, there's no anxiety about it, there's no, a lot of anticipation of pleasure or anything, it's just kind of neutral. Huh? I think it's fine to be neutral, just what it is. Um, so you can just let it be then, if it's neutral and not causing any problems for anyone. You can let it be. Um, uh, or you could uh, say, well, that's nice. It's good enough in and of itself. But there's an opportunity to maybe uh, cultivate what's wholesome now. What would be wholesome in this situation? And you can cultivate that and develop that. Sometimes that's a nice thing to do. Does, it, does that answer your question enough? I'm, well I'm enough? still not sure what to do when I get 45 minutes of neutral thoughts. Oh, f- oh. <laughs> Well, I think, I think then you should probably ask yourself, wh- ask yourself uh, 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 what are you missing? Wh- what are you not noticing? Because it's uh, very unlikely that a, that a person would spend 45 minutes in neutral like that. So wh- what, are you, what are you not paying attention to? What's missing? And maybe it takes, maybe it takes uh, a very kind, a very kind, quiet, att- very kind, quiet attention kind of feel your way more deeply. What's going on here? So not staying with the thoughts, but going deeper into the heart. What's going on here? Okay. So I saw one more hand. Sue, did you have a hand? Well, let's, let's see what you have to say, and then we'll stop. Um, respectful and disrespectful. Mm. What does that look like for yourself? Um, respectful is more open and honoring, more connected, and disrespectful um, is more ego-based, more unwholesome ego-based mm, to me. Nice. And is those useful categories towards yourself, respecting yourself or disrespecting yourself? But also in relationship to others. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the lines blur. Right. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Thank you. Okay, so investigation. So we did, we've covered two of the factors of awakening, uh, mindfulness and investigation, and next week we'll do the next. So thank you all. <laughs>